So this past, am I on? I'm on now. There you go. This past week, we had uh, the, an event with the teenagers, uh, which I think is one of the best things that they do all year long. The hand-free, hand-free workshop or work camp or ever, ever out, what it's called. And um, it's just a marvelous service project. I, I, several years ago, Rodney was taking the teens off to other places and other cities where they would have a service project. And he said, well, why not right here? Why can't we serve our own community? And I, am, I have nothing to do with the planning or working of it. I just want to support that and what they do. It's just it's really, it's really great. Um, uh, I try to come each evening. And this past week, I was only able to make one evening because I was involved in my own hands-free workshop. Uh, there were some service projects I had to do that I couldn't change any other time. And so I was, I was putting that into practice, but just wanted uh, Rodney and the rest of the teams to know what a marvelous job they were, they've done. I try to get the, um, the news uh, cast, the news, uh, one of the news, you know, some of you have seen that news, uh, whatever, what is that, article, interview, interview of, of the work, work camp. If you haven't seen that, look at, uh, I'm thinking of her name, in Siobhan. <laughs> I know, Siobhan. Siobhan. <laughs> I know, I know. Rodney, I wanted to put that picture on, on uh, the screen. I really, it was really great. What happened, if you didn't see it, as he's being interviewed, they accidentally switched to a mug shop shot of a criminal. And under that it says, Rodney Keaton... Youth Minister or Minister of Central Church of Christ. So, and I really looked amazingly like him uh, without his hat. You know, if you take off his hat, that's what he looks like. So anyway, wonderful uh, job that you guys did last week. I have the advantage of knowing what I'm going to speak about before I get up here. And so as I listen to different things, it, it's, I, I love how it just blends in. Uh, Gary in his prayer, uh, and I didn't write down all this, I, I just can't remember it all, but Gary in his prayer says something about moving from the, from the dominion of darkness into our present state. I can't remember what else he said, but it just clicked. I said, you know, that's an that's introduction to my sermon. And then Greg, as he uh, shared with us during the Lord's Supper, he said something like this, it's easier to be in awe of, of what we have then put it into, faith, into practice because putting it into practice takes faith. Something like that. And I was like, wow, that, that's, both of those are introductions to what we're going to look at. What I call the state of reality. We're going to look at the state of reality for Christians today in 1 John 5.18. Those born of God do not sin. If you look at 5.18, we're going to read it in just one moment. And you will have noticed as you read through 1 John that one of the characteristics of this little letter is the absolute, blunt, unconditional statements that John makes. And here's one of them. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. Now, as you look at that, one born of God does not sin. Some of your translations just say does not sin. Some say do, does not continue to sin. 
I think the natural reaction to that is a sense of surprise or shock or doubt. And you may find yourself saying, but but that's not true. And I suspect if you do, you find yourself in good company. I was with the Phillips last night, uh, Jim, Tracy Phillips, over at their house. And as I left, Jim said, what are you going to preach about? And I said, one born of God does not sin. And he said something like, well, I still do. (laughs) And I was like, well, come Sunday and pay attention. We're going to find out that you don't. You know, the, my reaction to that statement is surprise. But is that true? Uh, these out-and-out, blunt, no-leeway statements? And how do we approach the, these words? Uh, a lot of good Christians, and I put that in quotes, wouldn't think of expressing doubt. And certainly no good preacher is going to do so publicly. So perhaps you won't consider me a good public preacher or a good preacher when I say that these verses and verses like these all my life have caused me to take a sharp look at myself and take a look at my life and feel a contradiction. Surely you do, too. What's going on here? One born of God does not sin. And then we have all these. We know statements all throughout the book, this letter of 1 John. Statements of ultimate confidence and finality. These no statements, K-N-O-W statements, these no statements, leave no room for doubt. We know this, it says, and yet we doubt. These absolute statements jar our thinking Because we see in it an impossibility. The one born of God does not sin. And then a rapid fire right here at the end as we come to the conclusion of John. He sums up this letter with six we know statements. Thirty-seven times in 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 the letter of 1 John he says we know, we know, we know. He reminds us of what we know. And then it seems like he's trying to emphasize all this as he comes to his conclusion. And six times, 20%, about 20% of his no statements are found in the last few verses here. When he says, we know these things, and I I listed them here, verse 13 through 20. We know that we have eternal life. We know that he hears us. We know we have received. We know that the one born of God does not sin. And then later on we'll look at, we know we are children of God. We know the Son has, has come. Over and over. And in this particular verse that we just read, it has three strong statements that cause us to pause, or to cause me to pause, and ask myself questions as I looked at, the, at these verses. I've told you before, when I study the Bible to speak to you, I study it for myself first. And say, well, what's the saying to me? And then I'll, I share it with what I've learned to, uh, to you. First, we know anyone born of God does not sin. But I do sin. Am I therefore not born of God? Second, God keeps him safe. And yet there's been many times that I have not been safe. Again, does that mean I'm not born of God? Third, the evil one does not harm him. And yet I and other Christians have been harmed. 
And so I doubt my relationship with God again. Okay, I'm just being honest, okay? I'm not trying to be theological. I'm just putting it out here and saying, look, this is how I think. This is what I see. I see this and I say, how is this possible? And so I find that many times when we come to these self-doubts and we come to these questions, we do one of several things. Sometimes we just kind of push them off to the back of our mind. Okay, we're going to deal with that later on maybe. Some people consider their doubts wrong or sinful. They pretend they don't have them. We just, oh, God, I, no, I, I don't have any doubts here. We don't know how to deal with it. We come to these passages and we just we kind of throw up our hands. What am I supposed to do here? And then a good Christian wouldn't enter, entertain such doubts. A good preacher wouldn't bring them up, as I said. But I don't think that's true. A good Christian should entertain these thoughts. A good Christian should examine them. Let's be honest intellectually. Let's explore our doubts. Let's explore our our questions. Let's not be lazy and push it off to another day or just kind of give up or succumb to our doubts. Let's deal with this passage. And as I read it, as I thought about the whole letter, I remember John did not write this to cause doubt. And yet there's many times that we, as we read through it, as we pointed out in the past, it makes us question. He wrote it to increase our assurance. Just the opposite. 5 verse 13. I write these things to you. Why? Who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He said, I've written this to you for this purpose. So you will know, you'll have assurance, you'll have confidence that you have eternal life. And so something happens in us when we have these doubts that come up. If there is a God, and if Jesus revealed God, then we can't be afraid of where the truth takes us. Let's just, take, let's just go down the road. Let's see what, what we discover. Whatever God says about us, whatever God says about our sin, whatever God says about how we live, if he is true, if he is real, it must be true. Otherwise, life is pointless, except for whatever point you want to make of it. Life is fleeting, which means that every moment is just a moment closer to annihilation. Relationships, work, pleasure can only eventually expire, which opens the door to despair. And so as I look at these blunt statements of John, it is written to cause me to stop and to think, not stop and doubt. I think sometimes we're too lazy to stop and think. I think we live in a society that distracts us too much to take some time to stop and to think and really meditate on God's word. What is what is this word saying? You know, it's an easier path to live in doubt than it is to live in faith. That's kind of what Greg was saying in his thoughts. It takes more thinking to live a life of faith and thinking is work than to live a life of fear. I hope as we've gone through 1 John, these series of lessons have caused you to stop and think, to discover more evidence about who God is, His nature, His work in your life. This, as John promised, Leads us to a path of joy. It takes us down a guilt-free life journey, not only because our sins are cleansed, 
but it helps us to learn how not to sin. And this all gives us assurance and confidence in our eternal security with God. So what does it say? We know we do not sin. If you're a Christian, this is talking to you. This is speaking to you. Anyone born of God, that's talking about the Christians. We know that we do not sin. And John, in his speaking, his writing, as we've said before, is circular. He keeps coming back to the same point over and over. And so he is reminding us, I think, here, who you are. And it's like this multifaceted diamond. It gives us insight into who God is and and, and God's insight into who we are. And just as a reminder, we've got to go back and remind you what what you've you've seen. Because when you come to a a passage like this and it causes some doubt, you have to look at the context, go back and say, well, what has he been saying this whole time? He has told you these things. And all I did was just glance through chapter 1, chapter 2, and just the first six verses of chapter 3. And I came up with all these. We are loved of God. We are his little children. We are in fellowship with God. That means we're in a friendship relationship with God. We treasure his words. We treasure his commands. We live in him. We live in the light. We are of the agape clan, as I've described it. We are of the people of love, God's kind of love. We're forgiven. We have overcome the evil one. We know the father. We know the truth. We abide in him. We're settled down into a comfortable, peaceful relationship with God. This is what John has been telling us in just the first two and a half chapters. We have everything we need, he said. God calls it, Jesus, excuse me, John calls it the anointing, which is the gospel and the reality that God, that God is in the flesh, came in the flesh in, the, in, in Jesus. We do what is right because we've been made righteous by Christ's sacrifice. We live in the hope or the sure expectation that we will be made into something far greater than what we currently are. And, this is, and there's so much more. This is who we are. This is who we are in Christ. And so what he's done, he's, he's already stated these things. And in chapter 5 here, I, I've been calling it an expansion. But here I'm going to call it a conclusion. 518 is the expansion or the summation, the conclusion of, of, of chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. And I want to read that to you, and I want you to notice. Let me throw up the next and the next one. There you go. I want you to notice how these are basically saying the th- same thing. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9 of chapter 3, and notice that 518 is just summing up these verses. All right, 3, 6. He says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. He's taking, he, this, in 518, he's just making you come back and saying, here, I'm just summing it up for you. I'm, I'm just going to bring it all to a conclusion. We know that anyone born of God does not sin. Does this reputation, re, repetition, 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 does that frustrate you? 
If so, why? Is it because you don't want to be reminded of these truths? And I think that sometimes that's true. Because John continues to repeat himself, and, I keep, and, and early in my study of this, I was like, why does he do this? And it frustrated me. And I think that it's especially true when we see something and we decide we're not going to live it out in our lives. We don't like to be reminded of the way we're supposed to live when we're not living that way. We don't like to make practical application in our lives, our daily life and our relationships with one another. And so we just kind of ignore that or we push it to the side. But look at this. He does not continue to sin, the NIV says. Why does the NIV say does not continue to sin? And it's a translation of the tense of the verb. It's a present tense. And that's a good way of translating it. Continue or keep on sinning. And so many commentators will say something like this. This means that a Christian does not habitually sin. That when we do sin, we just, it's a slip up. It's a mistake. It's something that creeps up on us. Uh, it gets us in an emotional moment. And it's certainly not, and the, the commentators don't say it this way, but this is my translation of what they say. It's certainly not the felony sins. The commentators have no, uh, they have nothing to say to the Christian when you commit the felony sin. If you haven't been here, the felony sins, I kind of categorize some misdemeanors and felonies, just like we do when we go to court. Well, felony sin is a really, really bad sin, whatever, however you want to say that. But this makes those of you who have, as a Christian, committed the big sin, whatever that big sin is, or who, some of you this past week, you were in the midst of an emotional sin. You were caught up in something, and you realized what you were doing. You knew you were sinning, and you kept doing it. Don't look innocent to me. <laughs> We've all done that as Christians. Like I said, I just want to be honest, all right? As a Christian, I have found myself gossiping and knowing it was gossip, and I didn't stop. Am I not born of God? I might have found myself greedy or, I don't know, name whatever misdemeanor sin you want. And I knew it was wrong, and I continued to do it for a while. And so what I have to do, I have to justify my sin. It wasn't gossip. It was just me explaining this to someone else who really needed to know. Right? I justify my sin. Or I make excuse. Or, if I'm really honest, I doubt my salvation. Or maybe I'm not born of God. And so in the context here, we have John established over and over that sin is part of the Christian life. Do you remember that? You remember me saying over and over that sin is part of the Christian life. He tells you right in the first chapter, he says, he talks about as you walk in the light, he's in light, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse you of your sin. That just means that you've sinned. And he also says, if you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. So you have to remember that sin is, is part of the Christian walk. You do sin. It doesn't mean you cannot sin. We do sin. He takes it for granted, John, that as we sin, Christ's blood cleanses us. 
And if we do sin, chapter 2, we have someone, an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus, the righteous one, speaking to, to, to the Father on our behalf. And as I said, he even says, if you say you don't sin, he calls you a liar. He's not saying that the Christian cannot sin or does not sin because we can and we do. Well, then what is he saying? Another way of looking at or translating this would be does not live in sin, does not live in sin. It means that the Christian, that's not where his abode is. He doesn't live that. He's not in the state of sin is another way of saying it. He's not in the realm of sin. He's not in the condition of sin or he's not in, as Gary said in his prayer, the dominion of sin. Yes, we do sin. And we, at the same time as Christians, are learning how not to sin. We've stated that many times. But we have been transferred out of the darkness into the kingdom of light. This is our true state. This is where we currently live in Christ. We, we were once in darkness. That's where we lived. That's where we had our being. And we have been transformed, transferred, and transformed at the same time into the kingdom of, his li of light. Let me read a couple of passages that I, I wasn't going to do this, but I decided earlier I, I needed to. Uh, Ephesians, chapter, you don't have to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says this. For you once, you were once darkness. He said that was your condition. You were once darkness, not in darkness here, but he says that's who you were. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then he goes on to say to so live that way. All right. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter one, verse 13 says it uh, in a, another way, but in this, in just as clear for he has rescued us from what? From the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's where we are. That's where you are. If you're a Christian, that's the kingdom you now exist in, the place that you once lived. We once were living in the realm of darkness or the kingdom of sin. That's no longer your home. That's not your home anymore. You once had your abode in sin. Your home territory, your home country was sin. Not only sinful deeds... But sin as a state or condition. This is where you were. You were in the condition of sin. We lived according to the dictates and the commands of sin. We listened to the commands of sin. The call of our king was the call to be our own God. To do things our own way. To live for ourselves. You once lived there. That's where you were. We saw ourselves as the center of the universe. And everyone and everything had to come into alignment with us. That's where you once were. That's how you once lived. This was our condition. And our actions came out of that condition or that state of being or that way of life. This is the way of life we once lived. We lived in the state the Bible calls darkness and death. We lived according to the lie. We lived listening to the call of the sinful nature and the flesh. That's, that's what the voice we heard, and that's the voice we followed. And listen, our feelings were the ruling factor of our lives. If there's one quality of life that I've noticed among those who are outside of Christ is they follow their feelings. 
Their feelings dictate their life. When people make us feel bad, we seek revenge. Call it justice. Our feelings determined who we loved and who we hated. Our feelings made us ignore others and listen to some. But mainly we just listen to our own hearts. That's what we listen to. We follow the ways of the world. Whatever we pray for, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's what we followed. Going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 3, Paul really says it. He says, as for you, you, and he's talking to Christians, you were in the past dead in your transgressions and sins. That's where you were. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, just doing what we felt like we needed to do, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's where we were. That was the state we were once in. But John says this. Now, this, if you've been asleep the whole time, this is the time to wake up because we're about to end at the same time. We know that you don't live like that anymore. We know this. When you, when you heard all these things, if you were paying attention, you were like, yeah, that's how I used to think. That's how I used to live. And now we know we don't live like that anymore. Some of you are saying, well, I don't know. Listen, stay with me. But, chapter uh, Ephesians uh, 2, 4, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, born again, recreated with Christ. We've moved to the the dominion of light. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were in that state of sin, even when we we were putrid in that state, God made us alive because of his great love. It is by grace you've been saved. Nothing of yourself. God raised him up with Christ. Listen carefully. And God raised us up with Christ. That's when we were raised from that watery grave of baptism. We were raised up with Christ. We can look at that in several passages which we won't go to. He raised us up with Christ and listen. And seated us, that's past tense, in the, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Your current condition is called heavenly realms. It's called the light. It's called the kingdom of his son. This is where Christians live. This is their state of being. This is their current condition. You know this. This is how you've been recreated to be. You know that you have been born out of God. That's what literally this word says, out of God. You have been created to be like him. You are of him. You are in him. He is in you. This is your spiritual reality. This is where you are. This is who you are. You know this. You know that you're uncomfortable when you sin. You know that. When you sin, you're uncomfortable. You, you don't feel right. It doesn't, it no longer feels right. There's something, something that is out of character when you, when you sin. There's no happiness. There's no joy in it. You're looking over your shoulder, wondering who's going to see you. When you were in the darkness, you didn't care. 
That was your life. And now you know that's, that's not right. Have you noticed you can no longer settle down and really enjoy sin? You used to enjoy it. You can't do it anymore. It's become more and more distasteful. You're upset at yourself when you find yourself doing things that you know are wrong. Have you found yourself doing something and you apologize to God right away? I've done that. I'm driving down the road and I, one can confess too much. But something happens and I do something or say something that today on the way. Okay, I'll confess this. On the way here, there was someone driving way too slow. And if you come down Clinton, those lights, if you hit them right, you can just go right through them. And this person was slowing down at every corner to make me hit the red light. And that's what I felt anyway. The temptation was great for me just to lay on the horn. (laughs) And I thought, well, if it's one of you, that's really going to be. They turned left and I kept going straight. So I don't think it was anyone here. But if it was you... Go through those lights, please. <laughs> Don't call us your brother to sin. And I apologize to God. It was just me. I'm just driving by myself. And I'm like, God, I'm sorry. That was, that was uncalled for. And it was all up here, by the way. There was no gestures. There was no fists raised or anything else. It was all up in my brain going... What an idiot that person is. And it was sinful. And I, I God, I'm sorry. That's, that's not right. That's not, that's not who I am. What, what does it matter if it turned red and I get to sit there for another 30 seconds of my life? You know this. You know when you hear the call of the world, it, it no longer sounds right. In fact, it's a distorted sound. There's no harmony in that call. The enjoyment you once had has lost its savor because you've tasted the Lord and you found He is good. That's right. The works of the flesh, they grate against you. And as you grow in the Lord, you know that that's death, that's darkness. That's not exciting anymore. It's not fun anymore. You know this. You know that the fruit of the Spirit brings joy. The fruit of the Spirit brings a smile to your face, peace in your heart, security, assurance. And you know that's real. You know it's permanent. You know these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know that's right. You know that's good. Because you're in the state. You're in the state of God. You're in the state of the kingdom of His Son. You're in the state of light. The transfer from that, that darkness to light and of God's Son is real. I'm not talking about theology. I'm talking about reality here. Righteousness is comfortable. It's enjoy, enjoyable. Sin is distasteful. Is sorrowful. You know this. Those born of God live entirely on a new level. It's a new reality. You are in the new reality now. This is the only true reality is. You live for God now. 
You may sin, and you do sin, but it's not your natural state. The natural state for you now is to repent and to be thankful for your continuous forgiveness, your continual salvation in Christ. You no longer abide in sin. You abide in life. That's what he means when he says, those who are born of God, they're not in that state of sin. That's not your existence anymore. You're not there. And how is that all possible? How can you do that? Obviously, I only did 518a. The rest of that verse tells you how this is all possible, how this all puts together. And I just had to emphasize this point because, and here's the reason, because many of you still don't get it. Many of you have heard it and it's in your mind, but it's not in your actions. You know you're living in Christ. You know you're in the light. You know that, but you doubt yourself. You doubt your salvation. You doubt your condition. And so once again, like John, I'm going to repeat myself and say, this is reality. This is true. This is what God has said. Even when you don't feel it, don't go by your feelings. So next week, we're going to look at the rest of the next time, not next week, but the next time. We're going to look at the rest of this. So let me just tell you this. This week, just enjoy your state, your real state of being, who you really are in Christ. And if you're not there, we're going to invite you to come in and be a part of that. I want to share with you the paraphrase that I did of 3, 6, and 5, 18 to see if we can tie these all up together. And then we'll, we'll uh, sing an invitation song. No, one's who, no one whose life is tied up in him, who is focused on God and his will, has as their goal this rebellious life of sin. No one whose life ambition is self... And whose God is their own desires has come to see him, nor experienced a healing relationship with him. Dear little ones of God, don't let anyone take you down the wrong road in this matter of righteousness and sin. If you're living in a right relationship with God, you are righteous according to his righteous character. The one whose life is in rebellion to God's way is of the devil. Because from the beginning, rebellion is the path of the devil. The very reason the Son of God came among us was to destroy and crush all what the devil set out to do. All those born of God do not sin, because planted in their deepest core is the very DNA of God. They don't have the power or strength or desire for rebellious living for their children of God. And in 5.18, we absolutely know that anyone who is born out of God no longer is wrapped up in sin, continuing to live in the state and dominion of sin. That's not who you are. So, here's my encouragement to you. Live that way. If you haven't been living that way, change your mind and say, that's God's truth. I'm going to live in the light as he's called me to be in the light. If you're outside of Christ... That's the dominion of darkness. You've been enjoying sin. You've seen where it takes you. We're going to invite you to come in, put on the Lord in baptism as others have this week, and rise up to have a new life in Christ, recreated, born of God, once again to live in the kingdom of light. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.